Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have a dear, dear friend of mine, Daryl Anka, who is a channel for the entity known as Bashar. And Daryl's first episode is easily one of the most popular ever. He is easily one of the most popular guests without question. And the profound message and truth that he channels with Bashar is remarkable and has changed millions of lives around the world. So I asked Daryl to come back to have another amazing session and he did not disappoint. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome back to the show, Daryl Anka. How are you doing, Daryl? Doing great. How are you, Alex? I'm doing great, my friend. Thank you so much for coming back. Our last conversation did gangbusters. People loved our conversation um, and still people are watching and listening to it around the world. And it's been a, it's been at least six months, I think at least. Yeah. Time for me right now is just, (laughs) I don't even remember what day it is. (laughs) But it was, but it's, it did very, very well. And I called you up and said, Hey, you want to come back on? I'm I'm sure we can find other things to talk about. And uh, (laughs) so having me again, I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you, my friend. What you, what you and and the work you're doing with Bashar is is pretty remarkable. And funny enough, many of my other guests always come back like, "Oh, I saw your interview with Daryl. I love Bashar." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm good friends with Daryl." And they're like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> it's so fun. It's just fun. Again, and for people listening, if you didn't listen to the first episode. You know, Daryl and I go back for 13 years, I think, at this point. Yes, probably at least. And I had no idea Dar- Bashar, the whole Bashar side of his world for six years of our relationship or so. Right, because we were just doing movies. We were just doing movies together. And you it's not something that you advertise. You don't wear a t-shirt that goes, I channel Bashar. Uh, <laughs> though, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Might be some merch for you. Yeah. I'm a telephone for an alien. Exactly. 
but uh, but yeah, so uh, I wanted to bring you back and I had a, a couple questions that hopefully will help people listening. My first question is, you know, you've been channeling Bashar now for almost, 30, 40. almost 40 years at this point. Can you tell me why he chose now to send his message in, in, the, in the scape of humanity's history right now? God, look what's going on on our planet. I mean, I mean a couple things. <laughs> yeah, a couple, yeah, you're not too much. It's <laughs> a very dull place. Um, <clears throat> I, I think, well, first of all, our, in, in a sense, invitation energetically to extraterrestrials by starting to explore space, that we are becoming aware we're not the only planet around, probably not the only civilization. That kind of triggers a message to them energetically that we might be ready for some form of connection, some form of dialogue to see whether we want to move forward with the idea of contact or not. So that's that's one thing. Uh, secondly, obviously, we are in need of different tools at this point. Uh, you know, in the 21st century, we have to sort of let go of a lot of outdated and old-fashioned definitions and ideas. And they recognize that now is the time to introduce some new ideas and definitions. And hopefully that makes a change in our reality, or at least some people's reality to again, sort of change our vibration and bring us closer to the possibility of making contact with them. <clears throat> so let me ask you then, cause you said something interesting that we have to let go of old ideas, things that aren't serving us anymore. But so many of these ideas, these things that we're doing are so entrenched that it's mm -hmm. almost impossible at this point, unless there's a group collective cho choosing of, of change. Kind of like, I think when the pandemic happened, it was the first big shock to the system where now people are working from home, people are reevaluating their lives. It was that giant break that the entire planet essentially needed. It was very odd. It's never happened in human history to my understanding. Um, yeah, not certainly in this way. Um, but again, they, they take advantage of those kinds of things. They recognize that that, that is a psychological change, a shift <clears throat> where people start looking for different things, start opening up to different ideas. And, and so they're willing to sort of use that and see what we're willing to absorb. Um, but it doesn't have to necessarily happen all at once collectively. You know, the more individuals change themselves, then it, it, over time it becomes a collective. Uh, you know, just like anything, each generation starts becoming a new collective um, with new ideas. I mean, think about it this way, really, you know, since, uh, you know, the late 60s, there has been no one born who doesn't think we haven't been in space, right? So it's like, you know, when I was born, that was not something that was true. But, you know, now, what, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds have always thought that we've been in space. So mm -hmm. that's a big shift in our collective consciousness and, a, and an opening, at, like I said, kind of an invitation for other beings to recognize that we may be ready for more awareness of what's in space. So is, because a lot of the, Bashar, a lot of the uh, ideas and messages that Bashar puts out, he they are, they are, you know, talking about space and talking about technology to a certain extent, but it's all about internal growth, internal evolution of 
the human soul and, and, and humanity in general, I have to ask, why do they care? <laughs> why even bother? We're savages. <laughs> well, in some senses, without going into a deeper explanation of this story, we are family with them. Mm. So um, they see us that way. Uh, and we have actually some genetic connection to his civilization. That's a big story, a long mm. story. But they do see us as family and they are trying to help. Uh, they know what it's like to be part of a larger galactic community. They know what it can do for a civilization in terms of changing their perspective and outlook on life. And so, but again, they're not forcing us to do anything, which is why they're kind of sort of staying in the background and just delivering information in various ways, like through channels and so on and so forth, to see what we're willing to take on, what we're willing to, to grab onto, uh, and then decide for ourselves whether we want to go farther. But from their perspective, the kind of civilization they are, they are passionate about helping people wake up. It, it's just the way that they're oriented because they know what it's done for them to have evolved to this point where they expand their consciousness and what's available to someone when their consciousness is open. And, you know, again, they're not forcing us to take their word for it, but they're saying, here's a toolkit. And if you apply this in your life, you'll prove to yourself that there are other ways that you can live. And maybe that will make a difference in how you experience life on your world. So it's just the way they operate. So when you said awake, and, and that's something, I mean, I have a book right behind me that says awake and awaken and Yogis have been talking about it for 5,000 years to awaken out of Maya and, and this, this illusion. And it's been many different philosophies and religions over the years. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Can you explain when you say awake, is that is that where, which a, a word that's been coined now, it's simulation theory, which is essentially Maya, which we are in an illusion. Is that what you mean by awake? You're awakening to the reality of, oh, this isn't real. We are in this different level of existence, but this is not the end all be all. Yeah, that's part of it. And um, I would say when we use the word illusion, I want to be careful because <clears throat> it's not that the experience of physical reality isn't real. Sure. The experience is very real, but we are, according to him, and like you said, many other teachers over time, we are the ones creating this illusion. It's a projection of consciousness. Right. In fact, I just saw uh, a recent article that, you know, even quantum physics is starting to catch up to the idea that, hey, all of this is just a holographic projection of some sort from somewhere. So even science is starting to talk about the ephemeral nature of physical reality. Um, and so, yeah, it's about becoming aware that, that what we experience in life is our creation and that it's determined by what we believe to be true about ourselves and what kind of process we're attempting to experience to help ourselves learn and grow. Uh, from Bashar's point of view, that's the whole point of physical reality. It's sort of like forgetting that you're an expanded being so that you can rediscover that you're an expanded being from another perspective. And that's how creation expands because the, the structure of existence, according to him, never changes. It is what it is, but your relationship to it, your experience of it, your perspective of it 
changes and that's how creation grows. Um, and so the idea of going through these physical experiences, these limited experiences with the uh, attempt or potential to break through that illusion and realize that you have created this for yourself for a specific purpose uh, really expands your consciousness, gives you a whole different perspective on life and, and just makes things um, a lot more understandable. Right, because it seems, you know, when you don't have that kind of understanding of, of a wider consciousness, it, this all seems random and chaotic and chaos. Right. Crazy, yeah, you know. But when you understand the nature of it and the structure of it and how we create it, and which is what Bashar explains a lot of, uh, then it becomes something that you can really be in the driver's seat about <clears throat> and have the experience that will still give you the lessons you want to learn and help you grow, but it doesn't have to be suffering. It doesn't have to be a struggle anymore. Uh, so this is our awakening, is that we don't necessarily have to struggle. We don't have to suffer. Challenges, of course, will always come around, but from Bashar's point of view, challenges are fun. It's what helps us get a new perspective and grow. So it's not about losing the challenges, but it's about losing the suffering and the struggling uh, that we've been prone to for thousands of years because our choices have been limited because our knowledge has been limited. So they're trying to help us understand how things really work, expand our knowledge of the universe and creation and reality so that we have more tools to work with so that we can be more creative people in a way that doesn't uh, make us struggle and suffer. So you mentioned that we choose our reality and we choose this projection that's in front of us. Can you kind of dig into that a little bit, explain it to people who might not understand that we are literally creating the reality that we're walking every day? Yeah, I know there's a lot of confusion in using that word and, and you know the language itself is very limited. So when I say, and when Bashar says we choose, it doesn't mean that we're choosing consciously. So in other words, it's not like saying, oh, you know, you consciously chose to get into an accident. But what he's saying is the belief systems, the definitions about yourself in relation to life that you are choosing because you've been taught to choose them, like I'm not worthy or you know, bad things inevitably happen to me or things like that, that are sort of simmering around in the unconscious mind cause certain effects to happen. And that's what he means by we're choosing it and we're creating it. And so a big part of uh, his information is how to get in touch and become aware of the beliefs that you've bought into about yourself in relation to anything that happens so that you can have a better definition and a better relationship with that thing and use it to your advantage instead of going on automatic, so to speak, and just letting the unconscious beliefs run your life. It's becoming more aware of yourself, more awake about who you are. It kind of goes back to that old saying, know thyself and really investigate yourself to understand why do you believe what you believe about yourself? Why do you still hold on to something that maybe your parents, your schooling, your friends, or your society taught you that isn't working for you, that isn't who you really are? So it's really about um, digging deeper in yourself, finding out what you believe to be true, and understanding whether or not you want to keep holding on to that or replace it with a definition and a belief that better suits you that will then cause a change to happen in the way you experience your life and your physical reality. 
but what you're suggesting is uh, for many people scary to look in inward to look inside to analyze yourself is this why is it scary that's another definition that's another see we get caught up in these chains and links of definitions one reinforcing the other so we have a lot of definitions that even prevent us from finding those definitions because we're too afraid that if we go looking what we're afraid will will be true will be true and from Bashar's perspective, it's never really going to be true because, you know, we're a part of creation. We're, we're reflections of creation, God, all that is, whatever you want to call it. And, and from his point of view, creation doesn't make mistakes. So if we exist, which we do, then we're worthy of that existence. And to, to believe that we're not worthy, we're not deserving, in a sense, is arguing with creation. Well, Bashar says we'll never win that argument because we can never cease to exist. So you might as well take it on the fact of your existence that you are worthy of your existence and stop, you know, bemoaning and berating yourself and thinking less of yourself. We are reflections of creation and and we are here to allow creation to be all that it is. So, you know, we have to start at this very fundamental level of breaking those chains of negative definitions that keep us down. And we don't even know or are aware that we have a lot of these definitions. So finding them, bringing them to the surface, going, wait a minute, this makes no sense. It doesn't make sense in life to think this way, to believe this way, is the first step from Bashar's point of view as to how we start breaking those chains and freeing ourselves to realize we can choose the definitions that work for us because we are each unique we have a different perspective from anyone else. <clears throat> we are a unique part of creation and we deserve to express our full selves in life. So is that, what's, is that what is happening right now in society in general? I feel that, that, that there's a lot of stuff that was under the surface is bubbled up and that's why there's so much more everything. I mean, between war and, and violence and politics and economy. Yeah. All, is that what's happening in, in yes. humanity right now? He said that very, very, because people say, you know, why is it so crazy right now? And he's saying, well, you know, you've been doing this cycle of negativity for thousands of years. You're kind of at the end and you're about to shift into something different. But in order to do so, you kind of have to get everything out on the table. All of the negativity, all of the positivity, every choice that could possibly be made, you're now sort of seeing in one place. So it's giving us an opportunity to go, do we want to continue this way? I mean, look how strong the reflections are of, you know, things that are going on now. Like you're saying, you know, war and racism and all this stuff is just really bubbling to the surface because it's about time for us to face all these issues and really make choices about what kind of world we want to have. So it's a little more complex than that. But Bashar is basically saying, like, here's your opportunity. It's only going to, you know, probably be available for a while. And some people are going to make certain choices that take them in one way. And other people are going to make choices that take them in another direction. And what he's saying is, you know, this this goes into the whole idea of parallel realities. Because he's saying everything exists all at once. You know, time is an illusion. And there are different versions of Earth that exist right now. And the idea is not that we change the world we're on, but that we change our vibration and it navigates us in the direction of a parallel version of earth that's already more reflective of what we prefer or what we don't. So right now it's like a melting pot of ideas. 
here's negativity, here's positivity, here's neutrality, here's all these things we could choose. What do you want to choose? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So when people start choosing one thing over another, even individually and collectively, they start going that way. And eventually he's saying in, in the years to come, you know, the more people that choose a particular direction will actually sort of create a crystallization of that um, perspective for themselves and will no longer be able to even experience people with a different idea. So he's saying this is called the splitting prism from his perspective. And it's like we're literally in a, a train station and we're deciding what train and what track we're going to be on. But eventually, whatever train you board is going to be the only train that you can go on to because now all the tracks are going away in different directions. And once you're too far away on your direction, it's going to be even harder to go and decide, oh, I want to be on that other train because now it's like hundreds of miles away. So this is the time of choice. This is the time of choosing what reality we want and what we will inevitably experience while other people will experience other kinds of realities completely different than ours, but they'll experience that in a different parallel reality. Well, I mean, I think at this point, even in this reality, there are people who are experiencing things at completely different levels, whether it's poverty, whether it's violence, whether it's everything. Is it is it true from Bashard's point of view that we are vibration and the higher the vibration is what we attract to us so in other words a you know a a yogi master or a a a sufi a sufi master or something like that is probably not going to get mugged on the street (laughs) give or take unless there is a lesson in there that he has to learn necessary but but generally speaking Generally speaking, yes, it's all about resonance. It's all about frequency. What you put out is what you get back. It's like a tuning fork. You know, you you operate at a certain frequency. That's what you get reflected back to you because that's all that you can get reflected back to you. He's basically saying you can't experience what you're not the vibration of. And conversely, you can only experience what you are the vibration of. Now, again, as we said, there's some leeway in there about what happens because people have been trained to assign particular meaning to certain kinds of things. And basically Bashar is saying, he doesn't mean this negatively, life is meaningless. It has no built-in meaning. We give it meaning and that's how we experience it. So whatever vibrational level you're at is how you start interpreting the neutral things that are happening. And you, you infuse them with meaning and that starts coloring your world about how you see things and how you experience things. Because you can, ex- if you really stop and think about it, <clears throat> you can experience a lot of events in very different ways, depending on your vibration, on your attitude, on your you know, relationship to what's happening. And he's saying, if you stay in a positive state, no matter what's happening, even if something's happening, you don't objectively prefer, it's gotta be happening for a reason if you're experiencing it. And if you stay in a positive state, you'll be able to get a benefit from it. You'll be able to learn something from it that will propel you forward in a positive way. He's saying, even if nothing else, it can be as simple as you know, manifesting something in front of you that you don't prefer gives you clarity about what you do prefer by contrast. And that's a positive way to use what you don't prefer. And when we use it that way, instead of thinking, oh, this thing manifested in my life, something must be going wrong. I'm doing something wrong. I shouldn't be experiencing this. I should be beyond this. 
if it's happening, it's happening for a reason. It's there. And it's there maybe even to test yourself to see, are you going to react the same old way and give it the same old negative definition that you used to? Or are you going to respond differently to the situation? Because from his perspective, it's not about the outside world changing that proves you've changed. It's about you responding differently to what's going on, even if it still looks the same. That's what proves you've changed. Because if you really haven't changed and you really respond the same old way or react the same old way, well, then why should the outside world change? Because you really haven't, because you're still reacting the same way you used to. So reacting differently, responding differently is what actually change is all about. And then ultimately will cause the outside to change because it's just a mirror. It's just a reflection. And it's like saying, I'm looking in a mirror and I'm watching my face frown, but I insist that it should smile. It's not going to smile until you do. It just can't. Right. It's just right. a mirror. Right. It's like when I was younger, uh, I had road rage because I was an angry dude when I was younger. And I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I I come from Los Angeles, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but, <I live> there. <laughs> but but as I've gotten older and, and hopefully evolved a bit more as an adult or as a soul, uh, things like that don't bother me. I don't take it personal. If someone's like, I'm like, I just walk and just let it go. But when I was younger, I would just got in there. It was crazy. Right. Because you have definitions, unconscious definitions that you think something wrong is happening to you. Right. You know? How dare you cut yeah, me I, off? Yeah. Right. And, and my, Don't you know who I am? My, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard a story the other day about a, a, a person at the check-in counter at an airport who was facing a, a customer like that, right? He didn't get what he wanted. It's like, don't you know who I am? Oh, and she, she just got on the intercom and said, if there's someone in the airport who can come and help us, I have a gentleman here who doesn't know who he is. <laughs> way to handle that. What an amazing way to handle that. Oh my God, that's amazing. Uh, you touched upon something in regards to, you know, everything being meaningless in a sense. And I understand what you mean by that and the concepts of good and bad. And that from my understanding, from what I've been able to comprehend is that good and bad are relative concepts that we apply based on our moral set that is given to us by our societies. Yeah, they're value judgments. Bashar avoids using the words good and bad. He talks about positive and negative energies. And from his perspective, that's really just a mechanical description. In other words, Positive is what unites, what expands, what connects. Negative is simply what segregates, diminishes, separates, you know, and, and can sort of, you know, uh, reduce your perspective, limit your perspective. So he's really talking about the idea that, yes, there can be positive, there can be negative. But sometimes you can also use a negative thing for a positive reason and a positive thing for a negative reason. So that's why he avoids the idea of the value judgments of good and bad, because that's really nebulous from his right. perspective. <clears throat> and he's trying to describe what's happening to us energetically and mechanically when we think about it in terms of positive and negative energy or a mechanism that we're using. Because look at, I mean, we've got, you know, we are these expanded beings, these unlimited spirits, but we have used the idea of a negative mechanism to limit our consciousness in order to have a physical experience because we are more than this. So we're using a quote unquote negative mechanism for a positive reason. 
And that's why it's not just cut and dry, black and white to him. Depends on what you do with it, how you use it. Now you mentioned um, Bashar's formula. Can you, there's, I think there's four or five steps in that. Can you just, yeah, five. Can you just quickly kind of go over those five steps? Sure. And each of these require, you know, a deeper explanation for people sure. to truly understand how this works. And this is a toolkit. In fact, he actually refers to it as an instruction manual. The same way that you would get an instruction manual to operate a piece of machinery, he said, if you follow the instructions, the machine will work as advertised to your benefit. If you don't, maybe the machine will work, but maybe you'll injure yourself or something else will fall apart in the machine. So <laughs> the five steps in his instruction manual or the formula are <clears throat> to act on your passion, to do it as fully as you can for as long as you can until you can do it no further. To act on it, and this is this is a big one for a lot of people, to act on it with absolutely zero assumption or zero insistence on what the outcome of that action should look like or be. Number four, stay in a positive state no matter what happens because you can get a benefit out of it that way. And number five, you have to allow yourself to really examine your belief systems to find out why you believe what you believe because very often we just do it out of habit. And so it's those five things allow people to gain an insight and gain, in a sense, control over their lives when they're applying this very specifically and very precisely in their lives. When they do that, all these things start happening that are connected to it. Our lives become synchronistic, more synchronicity happens in our lives. It becomes a path of least resistance it connects us to other expressions of our excitement. It becomes the driving engine in our lives, giving us the energy to move forward. It reflects to us anything out of alignment within our belief system so that we can examine it and let it go. Um, it connects us to whatever form of support we need. These things happen automatically when you follow those five steps. It's really magical, um, but it is not just the idea of magic. It's the idea that this is how reality works. He's actually describing to us how we're creating our reality but we don't know that we're doing it this way. So when we follow those five steps for the reasons that he explains why they're important, then it just opens everything up and, and you start seeing how everything is connected and, and how you can take advantage of any situation that happens in your life and see it from a completely different perspective. It's really quite astonishing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it's a pretty powerful steps, those five steps. If you can do that, which is not, by the way, easy uh, all the time. <laughs> That's a belief. I mean, yes. I know what you mean. I yeah. know what you mean. It is challenging because we are so ingrained in outdated definitions. Correct. You're right. I understand that. But he's also said there's no such thing as a difficult situation only our definitions make it difficult. So we have to hold on to the idea. This is why it's so important from his perspective to create new definitions because a lot of metaphysical thought, a lot of spiritual thought is, is structured on very outdated definitions and we're not understanding. We may be describing an experience, but we're not necessarily describing the mechanism that is causing the experience, even though we may think we are. So that difference. I mean, let, let this analogy works. He's given. We'll say that the sun sets. We know the sun doesn't set. We know the earth revolves. And that's why we see that experience. So describing 
the experience of a sunset doesn't describe the mechanism that causes that experience. And this is the vast difference, what he's saying about certain metaphysical concepts we have and why we think they work are not why they work. And by getting caught up in the old definitions, we get caught up in repeating the same patterns, the same habits and all this kind of stuff. And we can't figure out how to get out of it. <clears throat> it's the new definitions. It's seeing the mechanism for what it is that creates the experience that frees us to see things in a different way in the same way that when scientists decided, oh, it's the earth that revolves around the sun and the sun isn't actually revolving around the earth, it changed our entire reality. So it's the same thing metaphysically that Bashar is attempting to do for us is give us definitions that unlock us from the past and propel us toward the future from a completely different perspective. So those definitions that you're talking about that are outdated, those, those definitions, when they were created, were created for the time and ev evolution of the people at that moment in time, which is basically religion. A lot of ideas that were talked about 2,000 years ago eh, don't apply too much right now because in, you know, in the Bible, slavery was okay. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everyone had it back then. Um, now it's it's frowned upon, uh, and as as it should be. But but that's an example, a very you know, a very interesting example of old ideas, old definitions, uh, and old just just everything that don't apply to us today, and how it needs to evolve. Is that a fair statement? Yes, and that's exactly what he's doing. So again, a deeper understanding of the metaphysical side of that evolution, again, is what allows us to understand how reality works more deeply and allows us to sort of open our eyes and say, oh, you know, um, I am free to do this. I am free to see things in a different way. I am free to explore something I never thought I could explore because I didn't understand how it actually worked. So now we can do that if we understand the information that he's sharing with us. And, and again, I'll, I mean, I brought this movie up so many times on the show and I'll continue to bring it up because it is just a, such a deep onion layered film which is the matrix. Uh, you, you're a sci-fi guy. I'm a sci-fi guy. We love that kind of stuff. But the more you look at the first matrix, the more you understand that journey as, as Neo is starting to realize his true nature, he's starting to understand how to bend reality in the matrix, which is an analogy for our illusion, if you will, our Maya, if you will, the reality we're in he's able to start bending it. So obviously that's a fantastical way of looking upon it. We're not going to Maybe we could dodge bullets. I'm not sure. Um, but but being able to move our reality in a different way, and I've experienced very, very heavily that ability to be able to shift reality in the directions I wanted to go. And it started off with some small little things. But as you get older and you start practicing it more, you start going, no, I think go here. I exactly. can go there. And it's like anything. You practice and you get better at it and your reality starts reflecting that ability. So yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm seeing insane synchronicities in my life that are just, you know, crazy stuff, but it's becoming the norm. You know, things just happen. Things just show up when they need to precisely, perfectly. And it's like, okay, you know, that, that tells me I'm aligned with myself and that I'm applying these things in the way that actually makes me able to steer my life in a better direction. So yeah, there are actual physical results to this. It's, it's pretty, it's, 
And I know, I know a lot of people talk about the law of attraction and that was the whole secret thing. And there is a, I think that was just such a, a like top layer of that concept, but it yeah. did introduce it to yes. a mass amount of people. Yes. And actually uh, Bashar relatively recently talked about how there's a little bit of a misunderstanding with the law of attraction. It is what you put out is what you get back. But <clears throat> I, I, at least as far as I was exposed to it, and it's not, it's not wrong. The idea that you have to be of a certain frequency to attract certain things is correct. I think where he's saying we have a little bit of a misunderstanding is we think we have to learn that frequency. What he's saying is it's just the opposite. We are that frequency. That's our natural state. It's our core vibration. And our core vibration is designed to attract everything we need in life. So it's not about having to learn that frequency. It's about getting out of its way. It's about not having beliefs that block that frequency. So it's more a matter of getting things that aren't relevant for us out of the way than it is having to learn how to give off that frequency. That's our natural frequency. It's kind of like taking layers off of clothes, little like you're, you're stacked on with tons and tons of coats and jackets and sweaters. And slowly but surely, you're pulling it away to get to the true essence of who you are without all that crap on you. Exactly. If you want the sun to reach your skin, you got to take all those clothes off. <laughs> right. And little by little. But we walk around many with tons and tons of stuff on top of you. Right. So when, you know, when people go around thinking, okay, I've got to learn this frequency, it's kind of like they don't really realize that they're wearing all these clothes. You know, it's like they're trying to do something that they're already doing, but don't know they're doing, and it causes a lot of confusion. So if they realize that that frequency is really who we are, and we just have to strip off all this other stuff that's not who we are, then it's, it's an easier idea. It's something that we can start looking specifically at, well, what is, what is in the way of that frequency rather than what do I do to learn that frequency? You know, because that's, that can be kind of very nebulous. What do I do? You know, but it's like, oh, I can find this negative belief. I can find this fear-based belief within me and I can let it go. And that clears the way for that frequency to attract what you need because it's already operating like a lighthouse. And that's the thing. It's that it's just knowledge. It's just information that we need to, if you don't know what you're looking for, you, it, so that's the insanity of what we were talking about, which is like, I need to find how to run faster, learn how to run faster with all these coats on. I'm like, you could just take off the coat, but you don't know that you're yeah. wearing the coats. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that to me is the essential benefit of Bashar's information. He's exactly telling you, what to look for and how to let it go, how to take that coat off, specifically, mechanically speaking. It's just like, this is an instruction manual, unbutton the button, unbutton the button, unbutton the button, take it off. He's literally guiding us that specifically. Well, it's Plato's allegory of the cave. I mean, it's essentially it. We're trying to let everybody know there's something outside. Right. <laughs> it's and not- Don't the be afraid to- yeah. It don't be afraid. I know there's a lot of light outside, but go outside. It's much better than this shadow show on the walls that we've been thinking is real. <laughs> exactly. But see, here's the thing. He talks about, you know, the structure of beliefs, positive, negative <clears throat> beliefs, because physical reality isn't real. Beliefs are what make it seem real because they reinforce themselves with emotions and thoughts and behaviors that reinforce the idea that what the belief is telling us is a fact. 
But when you understand the belief is just a belief, then you can deconstruct it and let it go. But beliefs are designed to perpetuate themselves because they have to, or we wouldn't have a physical experience because physical reality isn't real. So a positive belief, we don't care if it reinforces itself because we like what it's telling us about ourselves. But the negative beliefs have to use. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Sort of negative mechanisms to reinforce themselves. They're not doing it maliciously. It's just the way they're designed to perpetuate a physical experience. So many times a negative belief will will have its own set of tools, so to speak, to prevent you from finding it. So it'll make you afraid to look. Which you we have talked to, about earlier. Right. Exactly. So you have to be aware that that is not a fact that something worse will happen if you go looking for the negative belief. It's just what the negative belief is telling you in order to perpetuate itself so that you can keep having a physical experience. Once you understand that, you have a skeleton key to unlock it because now you go, oh, it's not a fact. This is just a story it's telling me about myself. I don't have to buy into this story. I can replace it with a different belief and have a different story experience. And 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 the term story, you know, I've said that so many times is the story that you tell yourself is the story you live. So if you believe that you are, you know, loved and 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 are and are worthy of happiness and worthy of you finding your your dream and finding your mission in life and if you're wor- all the, that's all a story where earlier in my life, I'm sure you as well, before you started going down this path, you know, you were probably, I mean, I was, I was angry. I was angry. I mean, angry at, at why I was working with, you know, 23 year old filmmakers who got $3 million for their future. I'm like, who the hell gave you this money? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Angry for a lot of reasons. You don't even know why you're angry. You know, I was, I was, um, I was so, I was so, t- I mean, I can't explain to you how angry I was as a young man for no reason. Cause I would be, I, I lived well. I had family who loved me. I had food over my head. I had no major traumas that I can think of at least um, that were, I, I was pretty good and looking back. I, if, if it was me, I would have slapped myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wake up. But um, yeah, you know, but we see, we pick up a lot of stuff you know, body language, telepathically, all this stuff growing up in a society that is angry <laughs> at not realizing its full potential. See, deep down, we know, you know, we know that we're off base in a lot of ways. And I think that because we haven't had the tools to deal with that specifically, at least not, you know, for the mass consensus, um, you know, we get angry at ourselves and we get angry at life and we get angry. Why isn't it the way it was in spirit? And, you know, why can't we do this? And why can't we do that? We forget that we are here for a reason to learn something until we mature enough to start seeing that idea. So yeah, we kind of come in picking up all sorts of anger from the society that's been experiencing negative things for thousands of years. And even like you said, when we have a great benefit in our lives or several benefits in our lives, we tend to ignore that and overlook it because we're just so caught up in this emotional turmoil that is human society on earth and has been for thousands of years with few exceptions, you know, but all the great teachers that have come along, you know, whatever, Christ, Buddha, Krishna, whatever, they've all been saying the same thing. And it's not like really follow me 
It's be like me. That's what you, it means. Sure, absolutely right. Not one of them is like you must bow down. Yeah. You must get no. you must worship. None of them said that. No, when you know when Jesus says I am the way, he means be this way and everything will pull together. He it's said not, it. Yeah, it's not I'm the only one. He even said, you know, you are gods and you will do greater things than I have done. So, you know, people aren't really listening to that because they're so used to feeling worthless and powerless that all they can do is latch on to someone who isn't and follow them. But then a whole bunch of misinterpretations happen because they think that person has all the power and they have none. All these teachers have been trying to tell us we have all the power and we are, we are internally the kingdom of God. You know, it's just people aren't it's, really... Sure, you know. Right, as uh, as Yogananda said, Christ was crucified for one day, and his teachings crucified for two thousand years. Uh, <laughs> exactly, which is it's perfect of a perfect perfect saying. Which I, I wanted to ask you uh, because you you brought them up. These mm -hmm. kind of masters, these kind of uh, ascended masters, is as mm -hmm. in Eastern philosophy is called is ascended masters. What is Bouchard's feeling about? those those teachers those masters over the course of thousands of years who've come and there's been many of them it's not yeah. jesus just happens to have a really good pr person uh so exactly. does buddha <laughs> exactly well he says exactly what i said it's like you know our collective consciousness <clears throat> gives us these opportunities through these beings uh on a regular basis every now and then for every culture and it's our opportunity to really open up and pay attention to what they're telling us instead of falling back into the old definitions. I am powerless, you are all powerful, I have to give you my fealty and I'm worthless and nothing without you. Um, we have to stop listening to that story because that's not the story that these ascended masters are telling us. Yeah, exactly. Now, I wanted to ask you what Bouchard's definition of a soul is. A soul is an expression of your consciousness on a certain level that explores expanding itself in a specific number of ways, because there are higher levels to that, <clears throat> some of which have been referred to in literature as oversouls, of course, you know, source, all that is God and everything in between. But a soul is an individuated reflection of all that is. In the same way, let's say you're standing in the center of a hall of mirrors and you see a reflection. That one reflection is a unique reflection from a unique angle, a unique perspective. To him, that's a soul. But because everything is made of consciousness, it's also conscious. So each individual soul is a unique reflection of God, goddess, all that is that has its own unique ability to understand itself, to know itself from that unique perspective, thus adding to the overall experience of all that is of itself. So the soul, the individual soul can have individual experiences rather than collective ones. It's, it's designed for the purpose of being able to sort of split itself into non-physical and physical consciousness to have a physical reality experience. <clears throat> I mean, from Bashar's perspective, because physical reality is an illusion, he's saying your, your natural state is spirit. You are there now, you're in spirit. You're kind of just pretending that you're not. You're dreaming that you're not in spirit. A part of you 
is dreaming that it's not. But most of you is in spirit. That's your natural state. And I would say, you know, in a sense, that's your individual soul. I, does that explain it enough? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it's a fairly large question. So I think you did fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's the meaning of life? Like, I mean, it's not a one answer, one sentence yeah. answer. But no, that's a really good, I just wanted to get Bouchard's perspective on that concept of a soul because it's so it's been defined so many different ways again depending on societal and religious and things yeah, and and none of them in a sense are wrong definitions they're just different perspectives of that they're different they're different parts of the elephant in the room yeah you know it's kind of like it goes back to what we we're saying about you know ascended masters and things where you know the way we look at it is you know you have all of these um <clears throat> antagonistic um excluding kinds of things where you know one group is saying hey no jesus is god and another group is saying no krishna is god and another group is saying jehovah is god and another group is saying allah is god but it's not that jesus is god krishna is god allah is god jehovah is god it's that god is jesus god is allah god is jehovah god is krishna god is anything and everything and all of us and all that is. We're made of it. We're made of God. There is nothing outside of it from Bashar's perspective. So it's, it's, we're reversing the idea back to understanding that none of the religions in a sense are wrong. It's just that they're misunderstanding that there's a bigger picture to the idea and they have a piece of it. They have a reflection of the whole, not the whole from so, for their culture, for their perspective. Right. And it, again, it's just tribal it's it's societal i mean yeah, depending tribe, on where yeah. you wherever you were born is the perspective of morals you're going to get right exactly so in a sense it's just people have to understand that all of those things are true and not just well i have the right one and you don't and you're going to hell because you don't <laughs> you know all of that in a sense is true there are misinterpretations in it but the thing of it is is it's all equal because it doesn't matter what path you take. It all leads to the same understanding. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So you, you bring up a good point on something that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. And there's a lot of quote unquote bad stuff happening, war, things like that a lot of negative yeah negative things happening why do and this is a question i know a lot of people have so that's why i'm asking it why Mm -hmm. does god allow people like putin yeah i I think that's the wrong i think that's the wrong question because god god being everything doesn't need to allow god just is it just is okay we are making the choices we have the freedom to choose that's our greatest power we can be negative, we can be positive. You have to realize that when you go to a dictionary and look up the word unconditional, it means there are no conditions. If we say, oh, God is unconditional love, we have to really stress the word unconditional. It doesn't matter because everything is God. So yes, there are negative expressions of it, there are positive expressions of it, but it's in our hands. That's why we're individuated souls. We get to decide how to express the idea. It's not that God willed it or allows it. It just is part of what God is. And we get to decide. The control is in our hands about how we want to express the part of God we are. 
So we can't blame God for not <laughs> stepping in and intervening because it's an unconditional experience to exist. We get to decide what that existence is like. It's just you know? like a, it's just like at the, at the beginning of a football game, one one team has God on their side, the other team has God on their side. I mean, they're all both praying to like, I need to win. I need you. I love the other person, but I want to destroy them today. Can you help me, Jesus? Like, yeah. I always found that fascinating. Yeah, and, and likewise, it's like, okay, you know, some people, when good things happen, you know, they go, praise Jesus. Why don't they say praise Jesus when things don't go their way? Isn't that also something that could serve them? You know, but again, it's that tribal, limited focus kind of idea that it's, you know, it's all about me and it's all about my connection and no one else's. And it's just, you know, it's everything. It's everything. And we get to decide what it is. So that's what God is all about is we get to decide. That's what it means to have free will. Yes, we set up our own destinies, but within that we have our own free will too. So it's up to us. Now, a question I have for you is, do we have spiritual guidance through our lives? Do we have beings that, um, whether it be ascended master, spirit guides, angels, whatever on the other side, who are guiding us through our our our, our blueprint of our life that as we have set it out beforehand, our life plan to teach us the lessons that we need to learn. Yes, they help, they guide, but they don't do it for us. Correct. Because it's up to us. <clears throat> but they do suggest, they do guide. I mean, in a sense, that question is almost like saying, well, do we have friends in life? Do we have family? Sure. Well, why is spirit any different? We have friends. We have family there. We have people that we may have interacted with in various ways. We may have people that are just simply doing it because that's what they've chosen to do. So yeah, we have guides, we have help, we always have help. And, and you know, Bashar has often said, which is a phrase I really like, is that, you know, you don't have to ask for more help. He said, you're being given all the help you can possibly be given. What you need to do is awaken and pay attention to the help you're already getting. You just have to be more aware of it. That's what praying is for and stuff like that is just making yourself more grateful for what you're already receiving because you're giving, you're being given everything you can possibly be given. Nothing is being withheld from you. It's awakening to the fact that you are in a state of appreciation and gratitude for what's already helping you. And then you can start perceiving it more clearly by being in that state. Again, what you put out is what you get back. Very true. Very, very true. Uh, you know, another, another question I have for you, and I'd love to hear Bashar's point of view on this, you know, and please tell me, I don't want to answer it, but really, but what part does religion have in our evolution as a, as a society throughout history, not just now? Well, it depends on the person and what they get out of it, really. I mean, okay. anything in physical reality, he calls a permission slip. In other words, it's some technique, some tool, some object, some ritual, some situation you believe you need to give yourself permission to be more of who you are. If the religion is the way that works for you, that's the way that works for you. Now, I know in general, religion generally <clears throat> can be disempowering in the sense of, well, you need me to tell you how to relate to God and you don't have that ability yourself. Well, which I think is nonsense. But again, if it's a technique, a tool, a path that works for you to allow you to know more who you are, to be a more positive, creative person, go with it all day long. It's fine. It doesn't matter. 
But if you're using it in the negative way to segregate, to separate, to look down upon, to feel better than, you know, than others and stuff like that, I, I think it's lost its, its meaning and it's simply taking the form of the fear-based beliefs that are in the person that is practicing that religion. And to, to piggyback on that, what is Bashar's point of view on reincarnation uh, and that, that idea? Because uh, there are billions of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> think. No, no, no. I know, I know. It, okay, again, now we're getting into you know, real deep metaphysics here. Mm-hmm. Reincarnation to him is real as an experience. It's not an accurate description of the mechanism. In other words, again, everything exists at once. Time is an illusion. So if everyone and everything exists at the same time and is only separated by this illusion of time, then to him, the experience of reincarnation is created like this. What we call the past is something that exists right now. What we call the future is something that exists right now. We make an energetic connection to someone that exists right now in what we call the past as a label because we need to download experience and information from them that will help us in this life, in this theme that we're exploring. We, because we're stuck in linear time, so to speak, stuck, we're focused, would be a better word, because we're focused in linear time, we treat that energetic connection and download of information as a memory. I used to be that person. No, that person is that person. But you're making a connection to that person and downloading information and interpreting it as a memory so that it seems as if you are reincarnated as that person. So you can have the illusional experience of reincarnation. You can create the feeling that I've lived before and I will live again as another person. But since all people exist at the same time, it's really functioning more like a dynamically interactive uh, internet where you're exchanging information constantly in the present to all these other beings, but linearly looking at it as if, well, I was this person, now I'm this person, I'll be that person. So you're using linear time to create the experience of reincarnation, but all of this is happening at the same time. It's multiple simultaneous incarnations. On a higher level, what you might wanna call the oversoul, we might all be extensions of the same higher oversoul. And from that level, you can say, well, that's my life and my life, and that's my life and that's my life. But only as the higher level, not as the individuated person. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It does. We're, we're definitely getting into the weeds deep, into the weeds yeah. here. <laughs> this is why Bashar preps us over years to understand things like parallel realities, time is an illusion. He really, can explain the whole mechanism of how this functions. And again, that's one of the things of the difference between the definition of an experience and the definition of a mechanism that's making the experience happen. And I think you're right when, when you're saying that Bashar is prepping you, th- these concepts, even in my own life, things that I hold as truths now, I thought was crazy when I was younger because mm-hmm. I couldn't comprehend these ideas. Yeah, how is that possible? How could I ever do this in my life? How could I ever do that in my life? These are beliefs that you slowly, but once the seed is dropped, right. it, it does grow. Sometimes it, the soil is just not fertile. 
true. <laughs> not being uh, water enough. Not being water enough and it's a barren. Right. Um, but, <clears throat> other, but other times you do see, you know, now, and, I, and again, it's only as you get older, you look back and you go, oh, I was being prepped for that. Or I read this book that threw these ideas into my head that I never thought of before. Right. And it took although me now years. Yeah. Although now there are new generations coming up that understand these things more quickly because I think they yes. forget less of who they are. They're not taught to forget Absolutely. who they are. So, right. you know, and that's another thing that's happening in with Bashar's information too, is, you know, I've now run into, you know, 10 year old kids that can explain exactly what he's saying. They get it. They just get it. It's, oh, it's exactly makes sense to them, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have kids as well and you could just see them. I'm like, my God, they're so much better prepared for life than I was at that age. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But at that, but my parents were just didn't have the information. The tool sets weren't there in the, in the world at that time. And the consciousness of the, of society wasn't there. I mean, and I always use the concept of like meditation, like in the seventies, you were meditating, you were crazy. <laughs> you yeah. were nuts. And talk about, yeah, crazy. And channeling in the beginning was like, what the hell are you talking about? You know? I can only imagine 40 years ago, Daryl, like you're like, so I'm a channel. I'm sorry. What do you want to change the channel? No, no, you're, I'm a channel. I talk to somebody else and they come through me and they're like, right. sir, this right, this way to the white, uh, just put this white coat on. I know the sleeves are a little bit longer. Just put them on Move right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right this way, but no, but now, but now the concept of channeling is not only more broadly accepted. It's still not widely accepted, but no, more broadly accepted, but it's in the, it's in the vernacular of society. People are like, Oh, I was channeling. I was yeah. channeling this great person to do this right. or so right. these, but these ideas weren't around 40 years ago. So you can see ideas changing without right. question. Right. Because definitions change. So, you know, it's, it's fantastic. So one question, another question I have for you about Bashar, what does he see in the coming years for humanity? Is he having, is he, is he seeing anything that, is he is he is a positive or a negative scenario moving forward? Well, again, remember back to what we were saying about you never sure. change the world you're on. You change yourself and you go to a version of Earth. You shift to a version of Earth that is already more reflective. So it depends on each individual as to what they will experience in the future. He's very loath to make predictions. <clears throat> the only, the few rare occasions he's made predictions, he's saying, look, there's no such thing as a prediction of the future. He's saying what a person is doing when they predict is they're sensing the energy that exists in the present. And if that energy has a lot of momentum behind it and it's unlikely to change, there's a high degree of probability it will manifest. However, you have to realize that once a prediction is made, it changes the energy because now you know about it. And if you don't prefer what it's telling you is inevitable, you can actually change that. <clears throat> so that's why the only few times he's ever made predictions, he's saying it's unlikely this momentum is going to change. Therefore, I will tell you that this is the highest probability. In I remember in 1998, it, it's, on, it's on record, it's in a recording. He said, before the end of 2001, there will be a terrorist attack in New York. He said, this is unlikely to change. And obviously we had 9-11. Oh. So... There are times when he can pick up on the 
highest probability and say, this is what the highest probability is. And it's unlikely to change, which is the only reason I'm telling you about it. But other than that, he doesn't usually want to make predictions, especially because again, as I just said, it's up to each individual as to what they're really going to experience in the future if they change themselves. And it's when you say that everyone experiences or shifts into another earth that is uh, one that they experience, regardless of whether you believe in parallel parallel earths or any of that stuff, that's fine. But in the Great Depression, mm -hmm. some people were on the street, other people's made fortunes. Mm -hmm. During 2008, some people coasted through, other people lost everything. Right now, there's people living very different lives. People in the Ukraine are living very different lives than we're living here. There's different experiences at the same moment in time, all the time, all everywhere you go, there's always a different, but if we're experiencing the same event, certain people handle it differently or experience it differently than others. And it's throughout history that's been the case. Yes, and the idea again is, you know, to really take this another step further, we're shifting all the time. We're shifting right now. We're shifting billions of times per second into different parallel versions of Earth. It's just that we do it so smoothly, we don't realize we're shifting. So the idea is because physical reality is an illusion, <clears throat> the very concept of movement actually entails shifting through different parallel realities in much the same way that an animated film shifts through different frames to create the illusion of movement on the screen. So even doing this, according to Bashar, entails having shifted literally through billions of different parallel realities, because this is a reality, this is a reality, this is a reality, this is a reality. Again, just like frames on a film strip. And he's saying it's just happening so fast, you don't realize it's happening. You're not seeing the flicker going from one frame to another. Well, I've never heard it explained like that before, but I, as a filmmaker, I completely understand what you're saying now because every frame is a different Reality. expression of that scene. And only when they're played back to back or the shift is when you get the illusion of movement. Movies, video yeah. is an illusion of, they're just still frames played back at a certain frame rate. And physical reality is actually structured that way. That's why there are parallel realities, because you have an infinite number of frames and you can go in any direction. So it's a matter of your frequency choosing which frames you're experiencing and which frames you're agreeing to experience similar to someone else, which allows us to have this conversation. We are both agreeing that we will shift through frames that allow this conversation to exist, but we're still shifting through frames. And my reality shift is not your reality shift. Your reality shift is a different reality, but we're agreeing to shift through frames that make it appear as if we're sharing the same reality, which we're not. My head's my head's about to <laughs> mushroom cloud. That's no, it's great. It's it's amazing. Uh, Daryl, thank you so much. I'm gonna ask you last few questions. I ask all of my guests. You were gonna say something. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Um, what is your definition of a good life? Being true to yourself being who you really are. Uh, how do you define God? All that is, everything. Nothing is outside of it. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? Being yourself and allowing yourself to add to the expansion of existence. I mean, it's again, goes back to who are you really as, as a reflection of all that is, what is it that makes you, you?
And how much can you really be that you? Can you see through the illusion? Can you learn to grow? Can you learn who you are more deeply? Can you be more of yourself? Can you act on the things that are truly you, which is what passion is all about. Passion is an indication of your true life, your true vibration. So it's being you, it's knowing yourself and being willing to act on that. And Daryl, where can people find out more about you, the work you're doing with Bashar, your books, your courses, Ooh. your videos, all that kind of stuff? They can go to two different websites. They can go to bashar.org, B-A-S-H-A-R.org, or they can go to darylanka.com, D-A-R-R-Y-L-A-N-K-A.com to find out what's going on with us. Yeah, and you have a fantastic YouTube channel. You put out videos all the time with Bashar. Is that correct? Yeah, all and sorts the- of ways to you know hear what he has to say. There's there's literally hundreds of recordings of events that Bashar has done, um, and you know people are welcome to explore and decide for themselves whether it's something that they are interested in. Daryl, it has been a pleasure, my friend, talking to you as always. I could talk to you for days. So uh, please come back uh, again. Absolutely. I love uh, it. I love talking. To, I love talking to you, my friend. And I, again, thank you for not only coming back, but also for all the amazing work you've been doing over these four decades, which is impossible because you look 25. So I don't understand. Sure. Stanley has been very, very good to me. <laughs> my friend, appreciate you. Thank you so much. You Thanks, Alex. Take care. I want to thank Daryl so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 147. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.